Okay. Tonight's speaker, as you all know, is uh, my buddy Peter M. Great message. Can't wait to hear him. Let's give him a round of applause for Peter M. My name is Peter, I'm a recovered alcoholic. <clears throat> Grateful to be alive and sober and part of a sacred place called Alcoholics Anonymous. And once again, thank uh, Rachel and James for uh, this kind invitation to me to share with you. I was just reading a story about something. And it goes something like this. It was a monk doing some traveling. And uh, he was walking down a road in one of his days of travel. And he came upon a beggar man. And the beggar began to walk with him. And after some time, they stopped on the side of the road, and uh, they began to eat lunch, and the beggar had no food. And the monk opened up his little knapsack and offered the beggar food. And the beggar noticed in this knapsack a very precious and valuable stone. And he says, I want that. And the monk gave it to him. And once he had it in his possession, he took off running down the road, jumping for joy because he knew wealth was on the way. He would be a very rich man because of this precious stone. And the monk went about his walk. But three days later, the beggar returned to the monk and gave him the stone back. And the monk said, what's wrong? He said, I don't want this. He said, I want what's in you that enabled you to give me the stone. I want stuff, we want stuff, I need stuff, I gotta have stuff, I need a reputation, I need money, I need a car, I need stuff. And I've met many rich men in my day who have oodles of money, but they were starving in the soul. They had no soul food and they didn't know where to turn. And they would reach out and try to get stuff, live a glamorous life, achieve more, climb the corporate ladder, the ladder was always against the wrong wall when it got to the top anyway, and always feeling empty on the inside. I just got something called high def on my TV, finally. Right. <laughs> you would think I invented electricity when I turned the TV on. This was a great thing. Now, I have a nice flat screen in my, in my bedroom and in my living room, but with the high definition, the first thing that went to my mind is, I need a big TV now. Football Sunday, I got to go out and buy it before Sunday. And for about 10 minutes, this was very important in my life. <laughs> and then the quiet voice says, you don't even deserve a television. And the reality is, I don't deserve anything. And I speak for myself. I don't deserve the car I drive. I don't deserve the relationship I have. I don't deserve speaking here. I don't deserve the, the clothes I wear. I don't deserve recovery based on my track record, based on my brokenness, and yet the ego thinks I deserve, I need more, a sense of entitlement, and I fall in love. We can fall in love with the reputations we think we have or the ones we've created, which becomes spiritual death. I get to do this a lot. I get to do this around the globe. If for a moment I was to think I was somewhat special, a little bit better than the next AA, because I travel so much to go present at AA conferences, it's spiritual death to me. Usually during the Super Bowl or the World Series uh, and, and the teams are playing, the athletes, the real good ones, don't even read the newspaper. They don't want to read about their own headlines because they may fall in love with their reputation, which is deadly. 
And as someone who's trying to grow spiritually, I pay no attention to that. What I do pay attention is to one thing, and the only thing that matters in my life is God. I've had some money in my day and was absolutely miserable. I was in a falling apart marriage and I had lots of money. And I've been flat broke filing for bankruptcy and never been more content. I like to have money in my pocket. I like to wear nice clothes. I like to have nice things. But my life is not dependent upon that. They're wants, not needs. And what's interesting, when the ego gets its arms wrapped around that, the wants turn into needs. And it's spiritual death because now I place something before God. I think I need to do things and what I want to become is vastly different than what, who God wants me to be. It's two different rhythms. And I can give lip service to this power called God. I can talk about God all day long. And the great things I'm doing, and I'm such a humble guy, but if you walk with me, you will find a complete dichotomy in my life and what I say. They conflict. I have hypocrisy in my soul. And that's just our brokenness. And when I get to a place, which I have several times in the last 25 years, where I am, again am surrendering, even though it's a daily surrender for me, but it's that surrender that I come to terms with, I'm flawed. Weak flesh born into sin. Not only just flesh, but flesh, the spirit, everything I touch, and all the things I want. Weak, broken. And when I come to God with that, in that surrender, something else happens. There's nothing left but me in the raw before my creator. And at that point, I can begin to grow spiritually. And interesting, what 429 does, and we give a lot of lip service in AA to 429. All I got to do steps four, I got to do my fourth step because everyone else is doing it. Four through nine is the ripping away and the pruning to get me right to go out there to be of service to one thing, one power, one being, and that's God. And God allows me to take this into my home's occupations and affairs and work with other drunks. The pruning is necessary. The work is necessary to remove me from me, to experience the death of self before the physical death. It's only going to happen with God's power, not by making AA meetings, even though they're vital to my recovery. I know lots of folks who look very angelic for an hour, don't meet them in the parking lot, and God forbid, cut them off. You're going to war. Right? Because what happens is in the removal of me, and little by slowly, God puts me back together in his time, on his terms, the way he sees fit. That's another surrender by me because I'm not in charge of this. I'm not designing this. I've been given a design for living that works. I don't have a design for living that I offer to God that might work. And a lot of the things that God's leading, the roads that God's leading me down or preparing me for, I don't like. They're uncomfortable. It's a dismantling of me. It's a narrow road to which I'm going to pass. The ego gets frustrated by that. But what happens is I'm fueled, I'm driven, I'm moved, I'm filled with God's spirit. Infinite love, infinite mercy, infinite power, infinite compassion. And we got to look at who, during our day, do we commend our spirit to? to my job, to my money, to my relationship, to my car, to my reputation, or to God. We do a reflection. We do a gut check during the day, step 10. My walking around step, I do an inventory at night. How many times have I offered my spirit to something else? You take charge of me. You own me. 
And for a brief moment, we did. That big flat screen TV had me. I got to get one. Oh, I need, oh, I definitely, I got to get, I got to get one. Because I'm incomplete without this big TV. I didn't even watch that much football. And the ego was always trying to weasel itself in just a little by slowly push me away from God. And it's a daily surrender. My sponsor suggested to me, because I hit my knees when I pray. He says, how about even bowing before God? As a humble servant, not only knees, but bowing before God. Just to show your readiness and your willingness to be changed. To experience a huge, spectacular upheaval as a humble servant. And so I do. And then interesting things happen. We often talk in AA how we're always going to be powerless. I'm always going to be powerless. That's contemporary AA, middle of the road. I'm always going to be sick. We get great power even though I'm broken. We get great power in Alcoholics Anonymous because we go work with other drunks and get them well. We're like the Red Cross of the world, right? You go into a drunk's house and do a 12-step call. The wife is saying, get him out of here. Don't bring him back. Or she might say, is he coming back? Who are you guys and where are you taking him? The house looks drunk. The house smells drunk. The house looks like fear. The house smells like fear. You can cut it with the knife. The children are uneasy. The pets are uneasy. The house looks dingy. The house looks like it's sick and suffering. And then we get that man, we get that woman, and we transfer the power of God that we have. We take time, the selfish and self-centered, the self-seeking, self-absorbed, fear-driven people take time with the opposite-looking lifestyle to spend time with a drunk, whether we're barking at the drunk or, 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 or wrapping our arms around the drunk, and we work with them, and we get them into four through nine, and then they get rocketed into the world of the spirit. You go back to that house. By the way, you don't need a year to do that. That can happen in 30 days. That can happen in a couple of weeks. Dr. Bob had them doing it right away. And you go back into that drunk's house. The house looks different. The house smells different. The house feels different. The house is a God house. Whether they're Al-Anon members or not, that drunk is awake and that power in the spirit is that powerful. I'm not supposed to be here. But drunk showed up to me with God's power. I just had a little bit of willingness that was given to me by God. Because on my track record, I try to take my life twice. I want to know part of life. I'm so done with this thing. This is nothing but torture. I want out, and God rescued me and put another drunk in my path, and I'm here tonight. And I'm still here, and I don't intend on leaving. I have a thirst, I have a hunger, I have a desire to be a part of this and to know my God. My week consists of besides work and going to meetings. In my quiet time, I'm reading my big book, I'm reading scripture, I'm doing things, I'm doing spiritual homework. Self-inflicted, self-imposed spiritual homework besides what my sponsor gives me because I get to do that. I get to seek my God. I get to experience God. This is all the work, the results of four through nine. You know what drove me there? Step one. The pain and misery in step one. Now, we'll forget sometimes where we come from, and I don't use remember where I come from to keep me moving, but when it's an internal condition of step one, when we have surrendered, truly surrendered, and God becomes, has to become, God has to become everything, everything in my life because I've been beaten so bad that I know as soon as I put my hands on something, it turns to garbage anyway. God becomes everything, and suddenly everything gets better. I'm not talking about financially 
or what I own, but the internal condition, I am a rich man today, internally. I am a wealthy man today, internally, because my heavenly Father feeds me every day. So some of us have had spiritual experiences. We went through to work a year ago, five years ago, ten years ago, and we're all pontificating at AA meetings and speaking all over and sponsoring 6,000 guys, you know, and giving them advice, stuff we don't do. Mm-hmm. And when you ask them how you're doing, so I went through to work ten years ago. And what my sponsor said to me one day was this. He said, did you eat today? I says, yeah. I said, he said, why? I says, well, I'm hungry. He said, but you ate yesterday. Why do you need to eat today? We had a spiritual experience a long time ago. Don't you think I need to eat today to get my soul food and nourish the spirit? Because that is the most important thing in my life. Because of that, I'm able to have a relationship. I'm able to show up for work. Some days I do a great job at work. Some days I don't do a good job at work, but I show up. Sometimes I have lots of time for guys I sponsor. Sometimes I don't, but at least I show up. And God allows me to do that. And intentionally, I haven't hurt anyone in years. Unintentionally, perhaps. Intentionally, no. No. Seeking a vendetta, seeking vengefulness, treachery, things like that, all gone. Sneakiness, manipulation, deceitfulness, it's all gone from my life. And I say that as, as, as honest as I possibly can. Intentionally, I haven't hurt anyone in a long time, which is a complete opposite of the way I lived. When I was breathing, I was hurting you. Because not only was I broken, but I was full of me and contempt for everything. You were an obstacle. You were a problem unless you were going to give me something. I'm so grateful for the work I get to do. This power that we talk about cannot be understood, but can it be experienced. I'm not a seeker of faith or belief anymore. I was talking to some young ladies in, in, in this program I work for. I'm not a seeker of belief or faith anymore. I'm a seeker of experience. How did I get to know booze works? By trying it. Right. How do I know those, those powder work? By trying it. I saw you using it. I said, well, you look pretty good. But until it went in, I didn't know it. I saw it experience with blue pills, red pills, green pills, polka dot pills, give me pills, give me more pills, give me more drink. Give me, just give me so I can experience what you got. Well, God's the same thing. I need to experience it. And part of this process is about removal, removal, and removal. In order to experience the truth, the false must die. 429 will do that. It will challenge everything. It challenged everything that I thought about life. All my identities. All the things I thought met, uh, made me. All the things I thought were God. Anything I come up with God in my mind is not God. Because it's my mind that's feeding it to me. I thought Charlton Heston, Ten Commandments, was God for years. I don't even know if God has a beard. I don't even know who God is. It's a great power, all love. But I'm willing to show up to the altar and surrender to this power, to the carpenter. And not much is needed for that walk. In fact, nothing is needed for that walk. Nothing is needed from me by my God for the spiritual walk other than me willing to walk with him. 
That's all we need. Same thing in AA. All we need is a mustard seed of willingness. We don't need anything. A sponsor is not going to take your, your bank account information. Are you the right color? What neighborhood you're from? Are you willing to go to any lengths? Let's do the walk. We'll walk together. That's all that's needed. And yet, we get so attached to so many things that I need to get well. I need a cell phone to get sober. I, I hit that a lot. I'm in a treatment center business. I don't know what's going on with anyone on the... Guys, I'm sorry, 25 and under, it's a different planet. Or I'm getting really old, I don't know. I need a cell phone to stay sober. And I need my laptop, and I need to be on Facebook or I'm going to drink. <laughs> what? Some of the young folks are funny. They walk in with a swagger, like that Tony Soprano and John Wayne roll into one. <clears throat> I've been in prison. I did the worst drugs in the world. Can you call my mom for 50 bucks? I need cigarettes. <laughs> you young guys know exactly what I'm talking about. <clears throat> to hell after this. <laughs> I came out of step five the first time and the last time, almost a year ago. Whole bunch of times going through the work. Came out of step five. <clears throat> now what? I did this big body work again. The first time it was a mystery. What happens now? The 15th time or how many times I've been through the work, it's not so much a mystery, but it's like, what does God have for me now? I know there's something. Isn't this mysterious thing, but I don't know where God's going to lead me. God may move me out of state. God may provide me a new job. God may make me unemployable. I don't know. I don't know. But there's one thing I do know, I'm going to God. I'm surrendering to God. And the defects that have been shown in six, I'm ready to surrender. And what it's going to look like once I surrender is none of my business. I can't start a spiritual process with the answer, what, with an attachment. No attachment, completely detached. I can't stress this enough, a complete surrender in the raw. Everything goes. Everything goes. God is everything or nothing, no in between here. Everything goes to God. Even the defects I was holding on to, it's the only thing I know how to do. We will defend our defects to, to our death. We will drink over our defects too, which will kill us. But I have to stand ready in six to let go of everything because if I'm not working, if I'm not turning that to God so God can tweak me, there is no way I can show up to step nine in any kind of good condition to make a proper amends because I still have defects driving me. I'm not saying they're going to be removed by the time I get to nine, but the engine has started and God is molding. I can't go loaded with defects with a lack of willingness to your house to be removed of defects and make amends to you because I'm still going to be full of self, self-centered, self-absorbed, self-seeking, my reputation, my ego, fear, insecurity. I'm going to give lip service to it and you will see right through it. And it's the same guy who showed up to borrow money from me 20 years ago. 
What we're doing speaks so loud, that person can't hear a word we're saying just by our deportment. So I need to go with a spirit that's been awakened and continues to awaken. Six and seven are key, and sometimes we blow over them at some of our meetings. When I first came into AA and it was a six and seven talk, it was like a traditions meeting. I'm going to another meeting. I don't do that anymore. Another thing I do is study my traditions in AA history on my own time because it's that important to AA and me as being a member here. Where did we come from? Six and seven, the key. I think I said last week, what would happen if we remove six and seven from the 12 spiritual principles? How lopsided would it be to go from step five into your, to knock on your door ready to make amends loaded with my stuff? Now, there's a lot of work, a lot of trans- transformation that happens in the forcing, the force feeding of humility in five. You can't deny that. Unloading your life, your deepest, darkest secrets to another person is a force feeding of humility. Some of the edges get worn down a little bit, but we still got stuff. And so I need to show up to step six with a willingness to be, have everything removed, surrender to God again. Look at how many times in our book, they're asking to turn a will and life over to care of God, make a searching, fearless, moral inventory, sit when you in five, six, and seven, then show them up to your door in step nine, 10, 11, and 12. It's all about surrender and not my will, not my way anymore. How can I serve you if I'm not surrendering to God? I'm coming to you, but I want something still. I'm a self-seeker even when I'm trying to be kind. That makes sense? Yeah. And I close that body up, uh, work up in six and seven with an amen, the end of seven step prayer. Because I'm out of the searching, I'm out to go in and heal now, reconcile, to fix, to amend. All the while walking with God. And it's great things, great things happen here because we start to, if we haven't already, we will start to experience God's abundance right here because we're truly doing God's work. I'm going back to you and I'm going back to you and I'm coming back to you to let you know the way you were treated was wrong, inappropriate, and I'm here to make it right. And it's not even, a, hey, I'm sorry. It's to fix it. God's great power. God's not so much interested in my falling short or my sinful ways. God's interested in one thing. One of my children has left the flock and I got to bring him back. I'm instantly forgiven anyway. Imagine what a great God. And sometimes I think I'm a God bigger than God because I won't forgive myself. Oh, I can't forgive myself. I, 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 I can't. But God has. Who am I? I think I said last week, and I don't want to break a tradition here, for me personally, my God went to the cross so I can be forgiven and made pure. Who am I to stand at a podium or at a meeting so I can't forgive myself? Who do I think I am? Oh, here comes reputation. Here comes ego. Here comes me. So I surrender in a seven-step prayer with an amen. And now I need to take the bit in my teeth and go out and see the people that I don't want to see. See, even see the people I do want to see. But it's not about me and my reputation. In fact, in nine, I might lose the reputation that I think I have. It all starts with my willingness in eight, which sometimes we skip over in some of our meetings. There's a preparation. Bill was great at this. Bill split steps all over. 
because he knew someone like me was going to come along and find a loophole somewhere. Oh, got a gap. Can sneak through. So he prepared me with the list that came out of step four. And what I have found every time I've done this work, that even though I had a list of harms that came out of four, there were more that didn't come out of four. God will reveal more. And so my list grew a little bit. And my job in step eight was to look at the list, knowing this list is still incomplete. Whether I have 100 or 200 amends, it's still incomplete because the further along I go, and as the ground gets more fertile, God will give me more to go out and fix. And if I'm falling short currently, it's more amends to make. Great thing about amends, talk to folks about amends. How you doing amends, how you doing amends, how you doing amends, and new amends pop up. So I prepare, I have a list, and I create this list. After prayer, I seek God to create the list, even though it's right in front of me. I don't know what more is going to be revealed from my God. My mind, my intellect can't see that deep. There's truly a God work here. And I have this list, and then I would pray to go make amends to every single person on the list. By the way, I'm not on the list. God's on the list. People are on the list. Places are on the list. Things are on the list. Mother Nature's on the list. Animals are on the list. Anything, everything but me is on that list. God gave me you and AA and him and my big book. I'm done. I don't deserve any of this, and God keeps feeding me stuff. I'm done. I don't know how I make amends to myself. I mean, buy myself a shirt, pay myself the money back. I mean, what do I do, right? Well, I have to make amends to myself. <clears throat> how about working on selfish and self-centered? Let's start with that. These people on this eight-step list for me were all walks of life. Drug dealers, gangsters, family members, pimps, prostitutes, you name it, they were on there. All of them. My job in step eight is not to say, I'm going there, I'm not going there, I'm never going to go there. I'm My job in step eight was to turn to God for a spirit of willingness to go to every single person on that list, whether they were in jail or, or on the street. None of my business. My job was to be ready to go see every single one. It's God's business who he's going to send me to. Step nine tells me except when to do so would injure them or others. They, they throw caution to the wind here. And it's very important that I seek counsel with the sponsor on the people I'm going to go to. Because even my good motives have shabby ones in the middle of that. An alcoholic with a motive should be considered armed and dangerous, by the way. Right? <laughs> So I would pray. Thank you, God, for the willingness to make amends to these people. And I say thank you, God, for the willingness because it's already there. God gave us honesty. God gave us purity. God gave us unselfishness. God gave us love. God gave us compassion. In my brokenness, it was lost. In my self-serving ways, my self-seeking ways, it was lost. So I'm affirming what God gave me. That's just a prayer I work with. Thank you, God, for the willingness. And then I pray, and I continue to pray, and then I have some people on the list, and off I go after seeking counsel from a sponsor. And sometimes I'm in the middle of amends, and new amends come up, I put them on the list. And what I do with this list is I list the person's name, the harm caused, what I'm clear of, and a contact in a number or an address. And if I don't, I put a little question mark, and I put all these on little index cards. It keeps it nice and neat for me. John Smith, stole 20 bucks, telephone number, 
Got it. Pray for the willingness to go see John Smith. And so on and so forth, employees, and I keep praying for the willingness. And uh, it's interesting, in in our big book, in step eight and nine, twice, once in eight, once in nine, they remind us about going to any lens for spiritual experience. Because we know, they know, I can get real lazy here. I finished my fifth step, did a little six and seven, made a couple of amends, I got my list, things are going good, everyone knows me, I know where the coffee is in the back room, I know everyone in the room, I have a sponsor, I speak a little bit, I'm gold. I have to go to everybody. I know they say everybody. You have to go to everybody. I'm me. I don't have to go to everybody. And they says, just remember, you decide you were willing to go to any lens for a spiritual experience. Step 10, they says, not to rest on my laurels because I'm headed for trouble if I, do, if I do. It's constant moving, constantly moving, growing or I'm going, growing or I'm going. Enhance the spiritual experience. Well, I don't know about you, but if I taste a little bit of God, I want more God. I taste a little Jack Daniels. I want a vat. I like the effect produced by God. I like what it's doing for me. I like how it's affecting other people. I like the condition of my life. I like now serving God and being of help to other people. In fact, when I show up to you and make it right, somehow, some way, I feel a lot lighter about everything. And I start to experience halfway through amends, three-quarters way through amends, the very first time, the, the wearing the world like a loose garment. I know what he meant by that. They weren't just words put on the page. When our big book says we can we go through the archway and walk a free man or woman at last. Keywords, at last. Lots of things I felt freedom for a short time, but not permanently. When I'm out making amends and doing what I have to do and taking responsibility for the harms I've caused, somehow I feel a lot lighter, a lot freer. I wear the world like a loose garment. Stuff is not at me. I can walk down a block and not have to worry about who I bump into anymore. In fact, if I do bump into you and I owe amends, I am in a place of readiness to fix it right now. That's great power. I've been given great power. You've been given great power. We've been given. And I don't run back to an AA meeting and say, I made amends to get another nine-step notch in my belt, but I will talk to a newcomer about the importance of amends. I had someone call me early around uh, 5.30 today, and they were really struggling, folks from up north, really struggling. And we spoke. And this person has no 11 life. No prayer, no meditation, no nightly review. Long gone. Checks in with the sponsor. Checks in like the sponsor. I love when spo- uh, prospects call you. I'm calling just to check in. I'm not the Holiday Inn. <laughs> but this person calls a sponsor to check in. That just satisfies the ego. That's all that does. See, I did call my sponsor. And then we backed up into 10. There's nothing going on with 10. And we got to 9. This person made a handful of amends and stopped. No wonder why they're not free. No wonder why fear is back on them. No wonder why some of their behavior is inappropriate. They're trying to escape themselves. And if they would only complete their amends that they're consciously aware of, knowing that if they don't complete amends, they will drink again. They will generate some power, which is what 9 does. We generate power that rocket us into 10 and 11. We get more power to take us 1 through 9 again. We get fed. So I gave this person some suggestions. Will they take it? I don't know. But I've seen this over and over and over again. I owe, and I don't deserve what I get. 
but I owe, I owe, I, I owe AA, I owe my God, I owe you. I don't think I've harmed anyone in this room tonight, but I still owe you because you're all here giving me strength to do this. All coming from God, I owe you. So if you need a few minutes of my time, it's the very least I can do. If you need to call me tonight or tomorrow because you're struggling, the very least I can do is give you a few minutes of my time because I owe you even though I don't know you. It would be a really lonely world if I was here all alone, walking into this room. In fact, if you were to come back in this room around 11 o'clock tonight, the feel would be completely different. The energy is gone. It's just a room with a lot of chairs. We pile in with all our insanity, right, and all the craziness. I hear from up here, there's 4,000 conversations. You know, an alcoholic, one alcoholic has 42 personalities in that one person, right? And they all show up at once, right? It's pretty cool. But I owe. Book says, how to approach the man we hated will arise. We all have one of these. I have this guy on my eight-step list. And I look at his name, and we, a lot of us have at least one of these. I'm going to him, I'm going to her, I'm going to him, I'm going to him. No, not going there. I'm never going to that person. After all, look what they did to me. I harmed them, but look what they did to me. And that's how I was with this landlord in Brooklyn. And I share this story many times. I lived in uh, uh, Brooklyn. My dad got me this little apartment around treatment center number five, and I trashed the place and got thrown out. And before I got thrown out of there and was homeless, almost burned the place down. I didn't pay rent. It was filthy, and it smelled terrible. I had all sorts of characters walking in. The landlord cursed me out. I cursed him back. We almost came to blows. It was a mess, and I got thrown out. And he was on my eight-step list. Now, when I wrote it, I knew I harmed him. But now is time rubber hits the road to go see this guy. I wasn't going to go see him. I figured he'd just go away. The ego says, oh, it's a long time ago. They don't remember anyway. It wasn't that bad. After all, you're doing good. We'll do it tomorrow. In fact, let me throw this out. How many of us tonight, you don't have to answer this, just think about it. How many of us sitting here tonight have outstanding amends that we could be making right now that won't cause harm in so doing, and we're not? How many of us have outstanding amends this past week, but we didn't go see those people because we got stuff to do? Who's now playing God? Who has a first step problem? If I have three or four amends I could have made this week, whether phone call, a letter, or face to face, and I didn't, and in going to make amends, I won't cause harm. I won't cause more harm. It would be settled. It would be fixed. But I didn't do it because I'm working. I got a date. I got to go to a meeting. I got home group. I got to watch the game. The World Series. It goes on and on. I'm tired. Really? Who has a first step problem? Who's playing God? And do I think not completing those amends has anything to do with me drinking again or not? If I think not completing amends will not affect my sobriety, I'm in for a rude, ugly awakening because I am God. And how can I experience God if I'm God? It's a scary thought when one of us believe we're God. Imagine what it's like praying to yourself. Lord, have mercy. Because we come up with doozy plans for simple problems. Right? And so I have this guy on this list. 
And I, like I said, I told the story a bunch of times, but I was in a restaurant one time, and I'm sitting with uh, my wife at the time. We were, we were dating to get married. We were married a long time ago. And I'm sitting in this restaurant, and in the back of the restaurant is this landlord. And he's chatting with another fella, except he's looking right at me. And I know this ain't nice. And I can feel my head pounding and the sweat off my, on my brow. And I told uh, this woman, I says, we got to get out of here. We just ordered dinner. We got, we got to get out of here. What's wrong? I'll explain later. Just get out of here. And I, I ran out, uh, out. And I called my sponsor. And I'll never forget what he said. He says, wouldn't you be talking about you if you saw you in a restaurant? <laughs> I was not free. I made a bunch of amends prior to that, but this guy was not going to. My book says... How to approach the man we hated will arise. It's interesting. When we go see these people, those difficult amends, the ones we're sweating to go in and, oh, oh this is going to be bad. Beneficial things happen. Great things happen. Incredible things happen with those amends that we scratch and claw all the way in. Because my spirit of willingness in seeking God will make it right. And so what I had to do was write lots of inventory on this guy, even though I wrote about him in step four. There was more inventory to be written. I hated this man, I'll be honest with you. I would look at him and bristle with antagonism. I would look at him and get annoyed and resentful and hateful, and I would curse him under my breath, and I'm going to AA meetings. How spiritual was I? Where was my uh, 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 desire to get that right? I justified all of it until that one day, and I knew I was not free. And God has a funny way of just letting us go, letting us go until we bottom out and say, okay, I'm done, help again. I'm done. I'm doing it again. Please help. And that's what happened to me. Another surrender. Another begging for mercy to get free. And somehow in that inventory, I was able to disregard what they did entirely, and I took a look at my part. I was a horrible tenant. I did bad things. I would have threw me out in five minutes. I wouldn't even let me in the door. He kept me there a lot longer than I should have been there. Went without rent for a few months until my dad paid the rent. I didn't see that the first time through. And I started praying for willingness. Thank you, God, for the willingness to go see this man. Every morning, every morning, and praying for his well-being, for his family's well-being, not for me, for them. Put that back into the universe because I ripped them off. Emotionally, financially, I ripped them off. Let me at least pray for their well-being. And one Sunday morning, I got up, and I put on a sport jacket and a pair of pants, and I had some money that I was saving because I owed him a chunk of money, and out the door I went because I will never show up for an amends with an appointment dressed like I'm going to go commit a felony as soon as I'm done. <laughs> I'm not going to show up with saggies and a baseball hat on sideways with headphones in my ears. It ain't going to happen. I represent, be the best copy of this big book I can be because it may be the only copy to ever read. It's my responsibility, and that's how God has me made. And so I got dressed, and off I went, and I knocked on his door, and they let me in. And I sat down with them, and I told them the, the harms I was clear on. And there were a lot of them. And I was very mindful the way I was taught, and what my book says is not to drag that person through the mud either. There's some things they don't want to talk about. And this really comes into play when, you know, boy meets girl on campus and the men's is doing about six months. Or the one-night stands or the little flings we had. We don't need to drag him or her through the mud. They know what happened. I have no right to save my own skin at someone else's expense. My book is clear about that one. And so I went and I presented to them. And I had money for them. 
this really difficult amends, they embraced. They were happy I didn't live there anymore either. That was all right. That's true. I've tried to tell this story I don't know how many times, and I never do justice to it. What followed after this amends, I will attempt to tell you. In a nutshell, I don't remember much. What I do remember was walking to my car and suddenly being feeling like I was lit up with a light. My eyes began to weep, not of, not of sorrow, but of joy, overwhelmed, complete overflowing. I can't recall my shoes touching the concrete on the way back to my car. It was everything slowed down, and I was electrified. Now, only someone who's had this experience knows I'm not nuts. Newcomers are going, uh-oh, it's one of these meetings. <laughs> it was euphoric. It was blissful. It was joyful. I don't know if it lasted for two minutes or two hours. I have no idea. But I've never touched that before in my entire life. I don't remember getting into my car, and I don't remember the drive home. It's a true story. I do remember walking into my apartment. I was never the same. How to approach the man we hated will arise. How to approach the woman we hated will arise. I sought counsel. I went to God. I had my book. I had my amends. And my, my, my intent was to make it right. And if he threw me out, he threw me out. I wasn't going there with a reputation to keep. I wasn't worried about what was going to happen. This was truly, Father, this is yours. This has to be made right. And I was convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that this has to be made right. This isn't about me. The neat thing about amends is for the first time with some of these folks, they're hearing. For the first time with some of these folks, they're hearing. You don't deserve to be treated that way. Some folks have just been trashed their whole life to say, there's another one. It's what I deserve. Guys, when you go to the woman to make amends, do it the right way. Because some of those women, just another guy's trashed my life. It's what I deserve. And you show up and you say, no, you don't. You don't deserve to be treated that way. And I'm going to tell you why. I'm here to make this right. I'm not looking for a date. I'm here to make this right. The chain gets cut. It gets severed. And we free people. We release them. These people were released from me. They couldn't sit around a Thanksgiving table and say, that SOB did this. It was done. And I can go home and have dinner and digest my food knowing I did right. I did God's, God's work today. Free as, free as a bird. About two years later, I was in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn, and they had this Halloween feast. It's about two miles long on uh, like 3rd Avenue in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn. And I'm strolling along, and there's that guy. And he saw me, and I saw him, and we just kind of waved, nodded. That was it. Mutual respect. It was done. I didn't go, oh, my God. I didn't feel shame. I didn't feel embarrassment. I didn't feel timid. I didn't feel arrogant. I didn't feel pompous. Is another person, here am I, wave, friendly nod, move on. That's the extent of that relationship, but it isn't anger. It isn't hate. I'm not running. I'm free. We're all like a loose garment. Wear it that way, huh? That's all God stuff, guys. I had to go see my family, emotional pull, the most difficult ones to sit with my family. 
And there were amends that took, one took 17 years and one took till about, mm, about a year and a half ago from the first time I went through the work because God said, not now. Now is not the time. My job is to chop wood and carry water. Chop wood and carry water. Get the ground fertile. God will do the growing. Spirit of willingness. Father, I'm ready. I show up to South Oaks Hospital, Long Island, New York. I went there seven times for treatment. One time I went over the wall. I decided, yeah, you made it. I ran away. And the gym coach, the, the physical fitness guy, gave chase. Chased me about 100 yards. And he said, Peter, don't leave. And I cursed him out, and I went. He got in a lot of trouble for that. Well, I owed him an amends because he almost got fired. And over the years, I sent letters, made phone calls and things like that, and I, they never put him in touch with me. Well, I'm sober now, about 17 years at the time, and I'm doing some marketing for a treatment center, and I went back to South Oaks Hospital. And I got there a few hours early. I anticipated a ton of traffic, and there were none from New Jersey to uh, uh, Long Island, Amityville, Long Island. And I got there really early, and my head said, let's go for a cup of coffee and have a little lunch. And Spirit says, no, go in. You know when God does that? You got to obey it. And so I parked the truck, I grabbed my duffel bag, and off I went. Now, as I'm walking in, who's walking out? This guy. Out of nowhere. Looked identical from, you know, when I was in there. And I introduced myself to him, and he remembered me. And I made amends to him, and he was thrilled. I was sober, thrilled I was in a treatment center business. I was thrilled I had a life back, because I don't know how many casualties of war he saw in a treatment center. You know, in treatment, most guys are going to go relapse anyway. This was a survivor, me. And I shouted to him the great work God had done in my life. I wasn't apologizing for God. I was shouting God from the rooftops, not to impress. It's just the way I've been made now. I gave all credit to my creator. And he gave me a big hug, and I went in for my marketing deal, and I went home. I went home free as a bird again. Hmm? 18 months ago, I, I got in touch. Someone actually looked for me and put me in touch with someone. The first love, I was 16, 17, 18. We were dating. Not only broke this woman's heart, but I was a drunk. We don't keep good relationships. We tend to do funky things. And I broke this woman's heart. I hurt her family. They adored me. And I disappeared. And we finally got in touch. She said, oh, my God, I thought you were dead. Whatever happened to you? Where are you? What are you doing? We thought you dead. My family talks about you often still. We thought you were dead. And I told her about Alcoholics Anonymous, and I made an amends to her. And as I'm making amends to her, she had no clue what was going on. She was totally foreign and separated from AA and recovery and alcoholism. But as she, as she asked me some questions about alcoholism, and then she said to me this, I think my husband's an alcoholic. Can you help him? And she talked to me about how he drinks, how often he drinks, and all the things that we do. All their arguments are about his drinking. The sneaking, starting, can't stopping, makes promises not to start and continues again, you know, over and over and over again. And so I, I, I gave them my number and my email and told them where I work, and I never heard from him or her again. But the amends was complete, and I stand ready to help. I told her to go to Al-Anon. Almost 23, 24 years in the making, that amends sat until God says, now. 
A day shy, day later, it doesn't happen. God's timing is perfect. God's timing is pristine. God's timing is right. My timing is not. I need to go to God and seek counsel with the sponsor. This is deep water we're in. Don't want to go make an have to go back and make an amends for the amends I made in the first place. I sat with my dad. My dad uh, got married like most people, marital bliss. Okay? My mom and dad, they met each other. My mom told me the story one time. Uh, they were like 14 and 15. And things were different back in the 50s. That was probably dating age, who knows. And it was like a first love, and they courted, and they got married. My dad went to the service, and when he came home, he says, your mom was never the same. She was drinking a lot. Now, back then, women weren't supposed to drink. And she was taking these pills. And over the years, she got progressively worse. And my dad watched his bride, his wife, the mother of his children, disintegrate in front of him. I can only, I didn't want to know what that's like. I can't even fathom that. Watching the, the woman of your dreams disintegrate and booze is more powerful than the love you have for a person. And psych ward after psych ward, suicide attempt after suicide attempt, um, she committed suicide and he loses her. And his oldest son, me, picks up where she left off and starts it all over again. Talk about having your back against the wall. Well, I get sober and I need to make amends. Not only financial restitution, I need to make amends. I need to show up. And my sponsor says, before you even approach your dad, you better walk the walk. Your talk better be your walk. Your walk better be your talk. Don't ask for anything. Don't say, now trust me. Can I have your credit card? I'm sober two days. Come on. <laughs> no keys to the car. Don't ask for a job. Just be recovered. Just be. And that's what I did. And many times I wanted to come out with, I'm sorry, and no. And I kept praying, kept praying. My sponsors go. And so I saw my dad one morning. I was back working. I said, Dad, I need to talk to you. My dad being my dad, he said, yeah, let's go. Well, you know, give me time. And I started the amends. And my dad held up his hand and stopped me. And he said, all I ever wanted was my son back. The power and the integrity and the compassion that God gave him, because he could have sat there and read me the riot. There was the open door to say, let me tell you what you did. All the money you stole and all the heartbreak you brought. He said, all I ever wanted was my son back. That's healing. That's how we all are at the core with God. My dad's not a God guy. My dad's a street guy. Maybe a fifth grade education. But love is love. Love transcends everything. It, it cuts right through. And he knew I was sincere, as honest as he had seen me ever, the way God created me to be now, to go suit up and show up and take some heat. All I ever wanted was my son back. He went on to praise Alcoholics Anonymous. My dad praises no one because it's a sign of weakness in his, in his world. He came to my first AA birthday with my entire Marinelli family. <laughs> this was a sight. They weren't there purely out of gratitude. They were just making sure I wasn't up to another scheme, you know. So. The next day at work, my dad could not believe what we do. My first speaker was a gentleman, Harold, who had seven years, and he wept at the podium. And my dad said, I never saw a man do that in front of all these people. 
And he wasn't looking at his weakness. He was looking at something great, what we're able to do. Because AA gave my dad a son back. And I was able to suit up and show up and make amends. Begin to make financial restitution because it would take me a lifetime to pay him back. He would take no money. He just says, you keep doing what they tell you to do. So now when I walk into my house, I know I did some damage, but I'm not walking in ashamed. I'm not walking in in fear. I'm not walking in as the problem child. I'm a sober gentleman when I walk in. Not arrogant, not pompous, but they're children of God, and so am I, and we meet on common ground. We're a family. We walk through things together. Hmm? The power of amends heals. Here's the other thing. When we're out making amends, watch those defects of character take a back seat. Watch those defects of character get grinded into dust. When I'm living in the sunlight of spirit, I'm coming to you because defects drove me to hurt you. My illness drove me to hurt you. And now I'm fixing it. The defects can't stand in that equation. They can't. God and defects, two different people. And when I'm in the sunlight of spirit, I'm doing pure work like that. God's working. I'm working with a drunk, and my intent is just to get help the drunk get well. There's no defects going on right then. It's for fun and for free. No defects. And we're cleaning up the wreckage of our past. That circle around the triangle, guys. I came in here. I used that circle to represent my life. It's been broken. Not the broken in here, but just broken to represent my life. Broken with resentments, broken with fears, broken with contempt, just broken. My ideas, my perceptions and conceptions about God and life, broken. As I started to wake up and make amends and move into the sunlight of the spirit, those gaps got closed and the circle finally closed where I finally have an okayness in here. I'm whole, I'm complete. I'm not better than, I'm not perfect. Whole and complete. I'm right-sized, head up, shoulder square. I walk with my creator wherever I go. Even when it hits the fan, even when I'm unhappy, I have no past, I have no future. I have this breath now with my creator and tonight with you, huh? That's all I got, peace. All right. And for the gentleman that went to his first AA meeting, he just got rocketed. You don't even know it.